Good evening. That's quite a few sentences to follow on, isn't it, to start preaching um, as we start to look at this next chapter um, in Esther 5. But tonight um, is going to be an interesting part in the story. Many of you know that we've been following this for those that come regularly over the last few weeks. And uh, we're getting to an interesting point to Esther where there's a real turning, a shift in the story. But just a quick recap for maybe some of you that haven't joined us for part of this journey, maybe not familiar with this story. Um, The main character is Esther. Um, She's a young Jewish woman. And she's found herself through a very sort of strange set of circumstances that included a beauty pageant to be the wife of one of the superpowers of the ancient world. She's married to the king of Persia. And we've discovered so far in this story that he's all-powerful. He's uh, despotic and he's very kind of sure of himself but seems to have quite a uh, soft spot for this very beautiful woman. But then who wouldn't? Because this story tells us that as well as Esther being very beautiful physically, she's also wise and she's got a huge amount of emotional intelligence thrown in. But the story has also revealed to us that the Persian court, where all this story is happening is full of intrigue. It's full of power that's being badly used. And in fact, in such a way that Esther's community, the Jewish people, are facing annihilation. This is an evil plot. And it's all been set up by Haman that we heard at the end of the chapter there. Um, who's the advisor, the top advisor to the king, who's taken a personal dislike to Mordecai, who's Esther's uncle. And because of that, he's decided that he's going to try and wipe out the whole of the Jewish people. And uh, last week, if you were here, you would have heard this conversation that went on with uh, Mordecai and Esther as he tried to persuade her to use this position that she has as um, the queen, to try and influence the king and to save her people. So we've reached the turning point in the story. And it happens with these words of Mordecai that we heard last week in Esther's ears. He's told her, who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? And with those words in her ears, she steps into the stage right at the front in the centre of this story. And she begins to act as a leader and an advocate for her people. I don't know if you notice or if you've noticed following the story through that this is the first time that Esther is given the term queen. She's no longer just Esther at this point. She's called Queen Esther And it's almost at this point in the story that she actually steps into her queenship. She makes a decision that's going to radically change her life. In fact, it could mean the end of her life. But she makes a decision to identify with her people, to stand up for what she believes in. 
she makes a decision to take on the responsibility of leadership. I wonder for you where you find yourself, your front line. We've already been talking about that this evening. Where it's going to take you this week. I wonder what sort of challenges you're going to face, maybe in your family life, in your workplaces, in church life, and then at a wider scale in our national life. There are so many changes and challenges, aren't there, going on all around us. It's part of the human experience. But there's a really interesting question to ask as we read this chapter. How do we deal with life when it's like that? when there's these challenges around us. What do we do? How do we influence? How do we change things? Particularly when they're oppressive, when they're unfair, when they're unjust. Maybe you're facing some situations like that as you go back to work tomorrow, as you have a conversation at the school gate as you go into the public arena and speak and live your life as a believer, a follower of Jesus. This is what Esther was facing at this point in the story. And what's interesting is that she approached this in quite an interesting way. Because there are two ways that you can start to change things. And uh, we can find this in the story One way is to try and step out of difficult, challenging situations and uh, make an attempt from the outside to dismantle that situation, to maybe protest against it, or to live apart from it. It's a kind of enough is enough decision and I'm going to get out of this and then I'm going to kind of try and shake it up and change it from the outside. A kind of radical approach to change. And, of course, sometimes that's exactly what we need to do. It might be that we've got to take ourselves out of a situation because it's unsafe for us. It might be that the only way that we can change is to remove ourselves from something that might be morally wrong. Or sometimes just stepping out to the edges allows us to speak into something in a much stronger way. But, of course, this kind of radical approach, it's got its risks, hasn't it? Sometimes it can backfire. Sometimes it can be threatening for us. When I was reading this, I I was wondering if uh, Esther had uh, thought or processed anything or or wondered about the approach that Queen Vashti took right at the beginning of our story. Because she kind of took this approach, didn't she? She made a decision that she was going to try and change things, rebel against the system and step out of it. You could say that... um, This was maybe very brave or foolhardy. You could say that it didn't work, although it might have been the outcome that she was exactly wanting. Maybe she didn't want to come into the presence of the king anymore. Maybe it was successful. But that was the change route that she decided. She decided to rebel. And uh, that's her part of the story of trying to change a situation that was unjust. But there is another way that you can go about changing things when you're in situations. You can choose to step out or remove yourself, but another route is to stay in the system, to try and change it from within. 
And this is what Esther decides to do. She decides that she's going to stay where she is in the system and try and change it from within. And that, too, was brave. It came with risk. Very often when we decide to do that, we can expose ourselves, can't we, to people who maybe are very powerful with self-interest. It can be a vulnerable and lonely place to do that as we stay somewhere and then speak out for justice. Um, when, I was, when I was planning for this, I came across this really interesting quote uh, from um, the Reverend Martin Luther King. This is what he said. He said, The saving of our world will come not through the complacent adjustment of a conforming majority, but through the creative maladjustment of a non-conforming minority. That's quite, quite interesting words, aren't they? I was particularly struck by creative maladjustment because I think this is what Esther was up to. I think she was creatively creating waves in a kind of subtle, non-conforming minority way. Because she was in the minority. She was um, part of the Jewish nation that was in exile. She was in a minority, a dangerous place to be for her at that point. What was particularly interesting for me was, was this quote that was made by uh, this amazing pastor from the States was uh, given at an NHS training day that I did. It's interesting, isn't it, to think that this is being quoted nationally to people that are training in the NHS. And what the point they were trying to make is, um, was this idea of trying to change from within, being radical people but staying within the system. And they used this analogy, which I quite liked. They talked about rocking the boat, but staying in it. I don't know if you've ever um, done any whitewater rafting. You might recognise a few faces in the, in the top one there. We did it a few years ago. It's great fun um, if you're involved in it. But you really know what it's like when the boat starts to rock and you've got to stay in it. It can be quite a challenge, can't it? And I think it's a great analogy of, um, of trying to bring about change in situations that are um, difficult, that are stormy, but not being complacent, actually beginning to rock the boat. And this is what uh, Queen Esther was beginning to do in this story. She was becoming an agent of change for God in that situation. She was rocking the boat, but she was staying in it. And God used her. God used her powerfully to save his people. So let's have a look at the approach that she took, because I think this is quite interesting uh, when you start to look at the passage. First of all, there's a, there's a, a period of preparation um, that you can pick up in chapter 4. So when she hears about this plan, uh, Haman's plan to destroy her people, Esther starts to act. I don't know, again, if you, if you just look back on um, chapter 4, right at the end, you can see there's a real shift in the leadership. So um, it was Haman um, that was being challenged by Mordecai, her uncle. But then, as we get to the end of that chapter, it's Esther who starts to give the instruction. And it's um, Mordecai who starts to obey. That point when Esther begins to step up and stands along her, by her people. And she could have done several things. She could have ignored Mordecai 
Um, she could have remained silent and um, just distanced herself from him. That might have been one strategy, but she didn't do that, did she? She could have tried another approach as well. She could have rushed into the king and she could have thrown herself at his feet and pleaded for mercy for herself and her people. But she didn't do that either, did she? She chose quite an interesting way. She decided to fast and she called all her people together to stand with her, to do that with her. She didn't attempt this on her own. She brings the support of her people around her. And at that point, she's not just a lone voice. She starts to speak for them to be an advocate for her people. She represents them. She stands in the gap before the king a bit later on um, for her people. And then uh, while this is all going on, while she's fasting, the other thing that I found quite interesting, she's actually planning a major feast in the background And uh, this plan is interesting because she uses all her experience and and her knowledge of the royal court. She knows what the consequences could be as well. And then she starts to work within this system. She gets a feast ready. Um, She works out a non-conforming way to start shaking the boat that's full of risk, but it might just bring her into a conversation with the king and it might just change his mind. So she uses all her knowledge of the court system. She dresses with care, and um, she puts on her best royal robes. She chooses a moment when she knows that the king's going to be sitting in the inner court, and then she stands just in the right place uh, where she can be seen. But at this point, she doesn't say anything. She follows the protocol of the court and she waits for the king to speak first. And this is a moment, isn't it, of high tension in the story. What's the king going to do? Is he going to kill Esther? Or is he going to extend his golden scepter? And that's exactly what he does, isn't it? We know that although this king, who can be very vain and volatile and prone to fury, at this point, he reaches out with his scepter towards Esther. And again, she's respectful, isn't she? She moves forward and she touches the scepter just as she should do. That's the protocol. And then she wisely weighs up the situation And she invites the king for this special meal with his advisor. In fact, she does it twice before she actually um, gives her petition. Uh, One of the commentators um, that I found quite interesting um, described this strategy that uh, Esther had as one of indirection. A strategy of indirection. She cultivates her friendship with the king. She takes her time She flatters him with a banquet, good food and wine, and it's organised just for him. You see, she's a woman that doesn't have any power, yet she holds her nerve. She's politically astute and she uses welcome and hospitality and relationship building as a way to influence the king. I think she's just an amazing diplomat. How skillful is that? And if I was going to sum up this strategy, I would say it was careful, it was considered action, 
And that although it was non-conforming at points that could have been really risky for her, she did it in such a way that she was able to open up discussion. It gave her an opportunity to influence and to bring about change. And I love the irony of this story. At the beginning, um, we're introduced to Esther as a commodity, as an object that's going to be owned by the king. And we even read just before in the previous um, chapter that he hadn't even bothered to call for Esther for several months. But yet, as we read this story, we see that God viewed Esther really differently. He viewed her as a gifted woman who had potential, who had great worth, and who was entrusted by God to save his people. And I love this, um, this quote uh, that was given by um, Carol Mayers. She talks about how, through her cleverness and patience, Esther thwarts a superpower. I think that was great, that she thwarts a superpower by her actions. So what can we learn? What can we take away um, from this part of the story today from Esther? I think there's a few things that are just really helpful um, for us as we think about this part of the story. And I'm just going to run through a, a few just to help us uh, think about what we can take away this week. I think the first thing that this bit of the story shows us is that God uses men and women to do his work to rescue and to save others. He uses us to stand up to injustice. This is God's strategy for the world. And um, he's been doing this for thousands of years. He uses this throughout the Jewish story. And we can see that in the Old Testament. We see it through the New Testament and into our church story as well. God uses the patriarchs like Abraham and Moses to save. He uses the judges. He uses kings and queens like Esther. He used the prophets. And then, and then he came himself, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. God came into our situation. He came into our world to change it from within. God identified with us as Jesus, just as Esther stood up for her people. Esther stood up in the gap and spoke out for her people. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. There's that wonderful echo that you get so much in the Old Testament that you then see fulfilled through Jesus. Jesus, through his actions, although there was great risk to himself chose to take that way of changing the world to save us. And Esther is an echo of this amazing story. And being that sacrificial, being available, opening our hearts type of attitude is just what God wants us to be like. It can be a way that can transform the situations that we're in. It can be a way of changing things from within. It's a radical way of live, living as a believer. And God can use us then to transform the places that we find ourselves in, in our front lines. He can use us to change our communities. He can use us to change our nation. He can use us to change the world, bringing his kingdom to this place. 
And that's exactly what Jesus was talking about when he challenged us to be salt and light in our communities. That means our homes, our workplaces. It means the place when we go to the gym, when we're standing in the, the Tesco checkout queue. It means that we are called to be like Esther and to be sacrificially there to reach out to others. And it starts where God has placed us tomorrow, faithfully calling us to be change agents, just like Esther. And I think this story also puts a spotlight on our front lines. It reminds us that places that we go into as believers can sometimes be quite tricky places. They can be difficult places um, to be a follower of Jesus. It's not easy, is it, in our modern secular world to sometimes be a Christian. And I know that I experienced that um, in my own context, uh, working in the NHS. And you might be able to relate in all sorts of areas, in education, um, in uh, other leadership areas, in business. It can be a hard place sometimes to be a Christian. We're in a minority. Theologians um, have debated the kind of changes that have happened in our um, in our own nation in the last 20 to 30 years. And some of you will be very aware of these kind of debates around things like postmodernism and post-Christendom. But basically, uh, the church is a voice of many in our society now, isn't it? And increasingly, people have no idea about what Christianity is all about. So this, this story of Esther, it really speaks into that situation. It's something that we can learn from. She was in a foreign land, in a place that had very little understanding about what it was to be a follower of God. And a lot of us are in similar situations in our front lines. Um, and that challenge to speak out and to be sought and light can be really hard at points. There's a group of us um, at CBC who are currently working through a course at the moment called Transforming Work. A couple of you are here tonight. And it's been a really good series looking at this aspect of faith, particularly in our work context. And um, we want to recognise that sometimes being followers of Jesus can actually be quite hard. And one of the sessions that we're going to be looking at um, when we meet next time is how we can be a mouthpiece for truth and justice in our work situations and what that might be. And quite a few of us have already been sharing stories about how hard that can sometimes be. Also, particularly when you speak up um, and you're the only voice that's challenging a situation. Maybe for some of you here, you can really relate to that. You know that you're going into a situation tomorrow that's going to be hard. I've got some particularly difficult things that I'm facing at work. I know work's going to be hard for me next week. It has been, last week was particularly challenging. Um, and I think this story just really challenges me to think about asking God to come into those situations with me. I don't think I've prayed as hard as I have for a long time as I, as I seek to lead some of the teams that I do at the moment. I'm just asking God to be with me, but to have the courage to speak and to minister and to, and to pray um, for those situations. So if you particularly uh, can relate to that tonight, do come forward afterwards at the end because we'd love to pray with you and stand alongside with you as you think about some of the situations you might be going into next week in your frontline situations. It was a challenge for Esther. This wasn't easy. 
This was a hard thing for, for her to do, but she had courage and she had faith and she stood up for, for God in a very difficult situation. Another thing I just wanted to mention is, is I think there's also some people who are specifically called out of our communities to be advocates in this area. That is their ministry, to stand in the gap for others, to stand in our um, public arenas and speak words um, that are, are words of God and of faith and of justice. They have a ministry of change-making in our community. There's Christians across our nation and across our world that have challenges in what they do, who are seeking to do this and um, speak out for God in those situations. Political leaders from all our parties, leadership, people who lead in our government and local organisations, in our housing offices, who are serving and getting involved in um, our areas of things like pension and a um, whole area, raft of public uh, places where Christians are based, trying to live out a life of faith in those situations. And we need to pray for them. We need to stand alongside, just as God's people did for Esther. We might not um, be the person standing before the dispatch box this week in Parliament, but we can do what Esther's community did and we can engage with that. We can pray and fast for those who are called to minister in this way, to bring God's kingdom um, to earth. Um, I popped up um, a uh, website here for Christians in politics. Some of you might not be aware of this organisation, but if this is an area that you're particularly interested in, it's a useful resource. Uh, it's an all-party, non-denominational organisation um, that seeks to encourage and inspire Christians um, in politics. And we have people in our own church family here who have a particular calling in that area, serving God out in public places, trying to be Christians and light and salt in those places. Find out who they are. Speak to them about what they're doing nationally and internationally and find out what their story is and pray for them. And that's a really good thing, positive, strong thing that we can do to stand alongside one another. And maybe there's a small number, one or two people here that maybe think that at some point in their life, God's going to call them into this area of ministry. And again, we would love to pray with you this evening if you feel that God is calling you into this kind of public area, uh, arena of sharing faith, being Christians in often quite difficult situations. And just one more final thing. I just wanted to continue to emphasise this amazing theme that so many of us have been talking about as we've been talking about um, Esther. It runs through the whole of the book of Esther and that although God is not directly mentioned, he is present at every part of this story in the background. He's there as Esther fasts. He's there as Esther discover, discovers that there's a purpose and reason for her position as queen. He's there as she bravely steps into this dangerous situation that might end her life. He's there as she leads and carefully, strategically positions herself to be able to have a conversation of influence with the king. He is there fulfilling his purposes for his people through her. And like Esther, God is present in the backgrounds of our lives, bringing about his purposes 
We are not alone. God goes with us. So we're coming to the end of this bit of the story now, of this chapter, chapter 5. And uh, we've got to the point where we're realising that the danger is not quite over yet. As you, uh, as you heard in the story, it's starting to get a bit sticky again. There's scaffolds involved and um, there's going to be a few problems ahead, I think, for Mordecai. So um, you might want to come back next week and find out the next bit of the story, which is going to be just as challenging and just as exciting and um, just as interesting. So I want to finish by saying this is to be continued. So come back next week and find out more.